Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on Thursday the 24th of May. I'm Elizabeth Hill and the team comprises this week of our engineer Duncan Wynne and round the table with me is John Plush and Audrey Luxton. Clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and I think the copying is probably Audrey and Duncan. (laughs) May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering. We'll give you some interesting and emergency telephone numbers, tell you what's on in the local theatres. We'll open the birthday book and please tell us yours if we don't already have it. And we'll have the past week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times, the stories of interest from the past week and we'll finish with um, the obituaries and thought for the week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If anyone, however, does wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, W-Y-L-D-S, Worcester, W-R-5, 1-D-A. And we do thank anyone who has sent a donation in. It is very much appreciated for replacing equipment and so forth. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvement or a complaint, of course, you can add a message to your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please be aware we're not here every day, so leave the message and please be patient. We will get get back to you. I'm going to hand over now to Audrey for the telephone numbers. I will repeat the number for us here in Wilds Lane. That is 01905 767 766. Worcester Live is 01905 611 427. To book with the Malvern Theatres, it is 01684 8922277 If you want to contact the police for a non-emergency the number is 101 For crime stoppers it is 0800555111 The Worcester hub is 01905765765 the Norbury Theatre at Droitwich is 01905 NHS Direct is 111. Out of hours medical assistance, you can ring 0300 The Infirmary Museum is 01905 542373 Thank you Audrey and now I'm going to hand over to John who's going to tell us what's on in the local theatres okay. Well in May on Monday the 21st the 26th of May Sherlock Holmes The Final Curtain 
This is based or it's after after Conan Doyle. It's actually written by Simon Reed, Robert Powell, and Lisa Goddard, and that's uh, the Festival Theatre in Malvern. Um, we have Nils Lofgren, fifty years up the road of intimate acoustic evening of songs and stories. Um, that's the Saturday, the twenty sixth of May at, at eight, uh, and uh, and in June we have eighty four Charing Cross Road. That's Monday the 4th, the Saturday the 9th of June at the Festival Theatre, also in Malvern. And we have uh, a concert, uh, piano and violin, Benjamin Grosvenor and Hayoon Park. Hayoon Park. Um, that's the 1st of June, 7.45. This, I imagine, is also at the Festival Theatre. Um, we have Eugène Onegin, uh, opera up close, that's Saturday the 2nd of June at half past seven. Then we have Pat Routledge and Edward Seckerson uh, facing the music. Um, that's Saturday the 2nd of June at half past two. And finally for this little segment, we have um, Michael Rosen's chocolate cake. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Two young brothers. Saturday the 9th of June at 2pm and 4pm. Ages 4 plus. Mm-hmm. Right up my street. Mm-hmm. Um, then at uh, the um, Worcester Live collection at the Swan. We have a little thing for grown-ups to enjoy with their children. It says, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. That's Saturday the 26th of May at 2pm. Um... Ah, and then the same day, in the evening, we've got Joe Broughton's Conservatoire Folk Ensemble. That's one of Chris Yeager's special recommendations. We featured that in a couple of magazines ago. Um, That's the 26th of May at half past seven. Then on the 31st of May, we have the Songs of Tom Lehrer, a thing called Politically Incorrect. This is not Tom Lehrer himself. This is uh, a cover of Tom Lehrer. Um, And he's at Huntington Hall on the 31st of May, half past seven. And we have another cover, Kate Bush, 40 Years of Kate Bush by Cloud Busting. Um, that's the 2nd of June at Huntington Hall at half past seven. Uh, we have a Rock for Heroes on the uh, 2nd of June also at half past seven. That's at the Swan. Um, we have David Baddiel coming. Um, he's touring a thing called My Family, not the sitcom. And he's doing that at Huntington Hall on Friday the 8th of June. Should be very funny. Um, On Friday the 8th of June, at half past seven, The Drifters. The Drifters. Well, there you go. Half past seven. Tickets, £24. Um, The Story of the Beach Boys in June, the 9th of June. That's at Huntington Hall at eight o'clock in the evening. And Meet Loud, a tribute to Meat Loaf, um, on the 9th of June... Oh, that's the swan. And I think that's it for that. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, now, I just thought it might be um, of interest to some listeners um, to know which uh, gardens are open in the county under the National Garden Scheme. Um, I have tried to um, give you some phone numbers, um, but in fact the uh, county organiser is a gentleman called David Morgan, whose telephone number is uh, 01214 
and the um, assistant county organiser is Brian Bradford and his telephone number is 07816-867-137. So um, these gardens are open in June and on June the 2nd and the 3rd um, is a garden at Martley called the Barton and the telephone number there is 01886 822 On the 10th of June is Burt's Morton Court near Malvern and I don't have a telephone number for them. On the 24th of June is David's Garden at Martin Hussingtree which is on the A38. Their telephone number is 01905 Uh Now, in Pershaw direction is Eckington Gardens at Eckington, and they are open on the 9th and the 10th of June. Their telephone number is 01386 Also on the 9th and 10th, is Hanbury Hall and Gardens at Hanbury, which is the other side of Droitwich. Their telephone number is 01527 821214. And over at Hanley Swan is a garden there. Uh, it just says Hanley Swan National Garden Scheme Gardens. 01684 and they're also open on the 9th and 10th, so those last three on the same weekend, I guess it is. Um, at Witchenford um, is Pear Tree Cottage, and they are open on the 3rd of June. Their telephone number is 01886 Um On the 2nd and the 3rd, is Pershaw Gardens, so whether that is the whole of Pershaw um, or just some gardens, I've no idea. Um, it's a, it looks like a group, um, but there isn't a telephone number for that, I'm afraid. It's on the B4084. Um, and then on the 9th of June is Shuttyfield Cottage at Birchwood Storage, they are open on the 9th of June and their telephone number is um, 01886-884-243 and on the Oh, that's the 3rd of June. That's overbury. That's a little bit far away, isn't it? So I just thought you might like, um, you know, change of scene sometimes. Uh, like, you know, some have some very scented gardens. Um, so a little ride out, maybe. OK, so I'm going to um, read the... No, sorry. Who's got the headlines? I'm going to have the, the headlines for this week. Sorry. Right, the first headline is Dad's Suicide Hit Us So Hard. My Cancer Fear After Hospital Blunder. Brave Girl with Half a Heart. Royal Op Delays. His Lies Nearly Put Me in Jail. And Sun Slums Atrocious Cremation Weight. 
The sunrise now is five o'clock in the morning. The birds start singing just after four, as does the cuckoo. And the sunset is ten minutes past nine in the evening. And I'm going to hand over to John with the first headline story. So this is a daughter telling of her father's mental health problems. A daughter has given a heartfelt account of the aftermath of her father's suicide when she was a teenager. To mark Mental Health Awareness Week, Lisa Beard spoke to the Worcester News about the trauma she and her family suffered after her dad's death 20 years ago. Mrs Beard was 18 when her dad Kevin Henry died, aged 46. He had suffered mental health problems for years and was receiving treatment, but it came as a massive shock, she said. Mrs Beard's younger brother, Chris Henry, was 15 when their dad died, with their parents having split up nine years beforehand. She said the two of them would visit Mr Henry on weekends, and he remained on good terms with their mum Louise. My mum found it difficult, and she carried a lot of guilt for a long time, explained Mrs Beard, who soon after went to university to study psychology. For a few years I sort of escaped dealing with it, she said. I finished school and did the usual university thing, met lots of friends, spent too much time partying. I didn't deal with it then, I just shut it off. After university, I went travelling and spent a year in New Zealand. Now 38, Mrs Beard said while she was simply putting off going home, she also felt she grew as a person during her time away. However, returning home to Eckington, where the family was from, Mrs Beard said, it hit me. I had to face normality, get a job and be in one space. The same environment I basically escaped for a few for a few years. I did find it quite hard. She went on to teach an emotional therapy course, but it was helping to heal me as much as anything before getting a job at a health food shop in Cheltenham. During that time, she was doing a part-time distance learning nutrition degree and is now a fully qualified nutritional therapist. In 2005, she married Lawrence Beard before moving to Worcester and they now have four-year-old daughter Alana. As I've grown older, I've become more emotionally wise, she explained. I became more upset and there were a lot of more tears. I got to a point where I faced it and went through it with the help of my family, friends and my husband. Referring to her mum and brother, she said, We're a close family and we've really always just set about living our lives. Mrs Beard said there was no support for her and her brother to help deal with the initial trauma at the time of her dad's death. Looking back, no one came to us and said you need to go for counselling. They weren't offered anything and we simply had to find our own way. It's taken me years to come to terms with the fact that it was really the illness that took hold of my dad rather than him himself. It's almost at the start very much, how could he leave me? But you come to understand that something has overwhelmed him. It's like any other illness, like cancer. That's how I made sense of it. She said her dad was a very kind man and was well known in the county, playing football for Pershaw Junior Old Boys. Sometimes he was just very absent-minded, but he was friends with everyone. He'd walk down the street and everyone would want to talk to him, and he was happy. But there were those periods where he'd appear a bit distant. I always thought it was due to his medication, but it was his depression. Due to her combined interest in psychology and nutrition, Mrs Beard said that she'd made it a bit of a mission with my work to help those struggling with mental health problems. She works from the clinic rooms at the Revital Health Food Store in the Shambles in Worcester and has started a clinic at Oakwell Health Centre in Cheltenham. A mother faces an agonising three-month wait for a new smear test 
after the city hospital hospital staff put her sample in an out-of-date container. Katie Eaton, who has fought off cervical cancer once before, described the blender as a matter of life and death. Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust apologised to the mother of one and has taken steps to ensure no further patients are affected. Miss Eaton, aged 31, of Mersey Road, said she was in shock after opening the letter informing her of the error. I was worried because of my past, she told the Worcester News. It didn't help that I'd just lost my dad to cancer and my dad's mum died of cervical cancer. I assumed everything was all right because I just trust them. They are the professionals. It's not right that the container was out of date. It's a matter of life and death. The test will be delayed for three months. We knew the hospital was bad, but we didn't know it was that bad. Miss Eaton was diagnosed with CIN3, which precedes cervical cancer, a few years ago, though she underwent treatment and her abnormal cells were destroyed. The little store assistant received the all-clear following a smear test six months later. This was followed by her latest test at Worcestershire Royal Hospital a few weeks ago. Miss Eaton had to take the test at the hospital for medical reasons. However, she received a letter explaining that she required a new test because staff had put her sample in an out-of-date container. She has to wait three months before she can have another screening as some of her cervical cells need to regenerate. Her mother, Pauline, aged 59, of Grasmere Drive, questioned how the hospital made the mistake. She said, How the hell can a container be out of date? I'm worried sick. It's disgusting and disgraceful. Mrs Eaton is now concerned that there may be other locals whose test results have been delayed because of the blunder. She said it has been particularly hard to deal with the incident due to the loss of her daughter's dad, Joe, who died, aged 61, from prostate cancer last week. A spokesman for the Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust said, We would like to apologise to Miss Eaton for this mistake and the understandable concern it has caused her. We have already taken action to ensure that no other patients will be affected in this way. Unfortunately, where patients need a repeat smear test in any circumstances, for clinical reasons, they do have to wait three months. The Trust said it was aware of one other person who'd been affected by the out-of-date containers, although it would not elaborate on the details because of patient confidentiality. A spokesman for the Trust added that all clinical equipment is issued with an expiry date. A mother has shared a touching tale of her daughter's daily struggle with half a heart, ahead of yet another operation. Myla Curtis, aged two, of Kingston Close Droitwich, has already undergone open-heart surgery and been in and out of hospital since she was born. She suffers from a double inlet left ventricle, meaning her main arteries enter her heart backwards, and three other heart defects. Her parents, Jamie Curtis and Josh Stevens, now want to raise £7,000 for the cardiac team 
at Birmingham Children's Hospital as a token of appreciation for their help. Myla's mum, Jamie, aged 25, said, Myla has half a working heart and had her first open heart surgery on the 4th of July 2016. Her next surgery will be within 18 months. We don't have a date yet. She has undergone several hospital stays and one open heart surgery and will need more operations as she gets older. Although her heart condition is extremely serious, she battles every single day. She's the happiest little girl and is so outgoing and funny. The cardiac team at Birmingham are amazing. That's why myself and Myla's dad wanted to give something back. Miss Curtis said Myla suffers from breathlessness and often has blue spells where her skin turns bluish because of reduced blood flow to her lungs. Mr Stevens, aged 24, a warehouse operative at AKW in Droitwich, added, Her first operation went so well. She needed it to live. The next operation is going to be done when she's around the age of three to four and it will be the same, that is, open heart surgery. The couple are now organising a black tie ball to fundraise for wards 11 and 12 at Birmingham Children's Hospital. The event will take place at Ombersley Golf Club in Bishopswood Lane and is due to start at 7pm on July the 14th. A live band is set to perform at the ball and attendees would also get to enjoy a hog roast and a raffle. Some of the raffle prizes include a Birmingham City top signed by top signed by all the players from this season, snow dome tickets, salon vouchers, golf vouchers and hampers. Anyone who wants to buy tickets which are £25 or donate a raffle prize can email Jamie J A M I E L O U two four zero five eight eight at hotmail dot com operations are at risk of being delayed at Worcestershire Royal Hospital because the theatre recovery area is being used for emergency patients. A source has told the Worcester News that theatres are coming to a standstill as they cannot recover patients due to extra people being admitted to the recovery area. Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust, which runs the hospital, has confirmed the theatre recovery area has been used for additional capacity since March, causing theatre activity to run at slightly reduced levels. We have asked what exactly slightly reduced levels means and how many, if any, operations have had to be delayed or cancelled, but the Trust has not given an answer as the Worcester News went to press. However, it has denied claims by the source that patients in the recovery area have been subjected to freezing cold conditions and no access to toilets. There is a very high level of cleanliness as it has to meet the standards for an operation, operating theatre environment. Our theatre recovery area does have a full hot or cold ventilation system, however the high airflow necessary in a clean air environment such as theatres may be noticeable. Toilet facilities are in close proximity in an adjoining area for patient use. He added, We would like to thank our theatre staff for their hard work and support, ensuring our theatres run as efficiently as possible at times of high demand on our hospital services. A former barman who was put in risk of a jail sentence in double figures due to a liar's made-up crowbar attack story says he feels like he's, he's been on trial. 
Carl Stallard's lies led to former Farrier's Arms barman Martin Hall being arrested on suspicion of causing grievous bodily harm with intent, section 18, and spending a night in a cell, exposing him to the risk of a jail sentence. In double figures, as I said before, a jury found 35-year-old Stallard of Lear Close Worcester guilty of perverting the course of public justice by a unanimous verdict at Worcester Crown Court earlier this month. And on Monday, Judge Nicholas Cole gave Stallard a two-year prison sentence. Remembering the day of the incident, 45-year-old Mr Hall, who suffers from epilepsy, said, The police came to my house in the evening and arrested me. I spent 13 hours in custody. I hold no judge against the police. They were just doing their job. If it happened to me, I would expect the police to help. If I had been found guilty of the original charge, I was looking at a 10-year jail sentence, and that is scary. When I gave my evidence, I was cross-examined by a defence lawyer. It felt like I was on trial, even though I'd been cleared of all the charges. It was like I had something to prove. I was hospitalised with a fit. My epilepsy is made massively worse by stress. Mr Hall said Stallard's trial had been stressful for him, particularly when he had to give evidence. During the case, the jury heard Stallard claimed he was attacked with a crowbar by Mr Hall at the back of the Farrier's Arms in Fish Street in October 2016. But in fact, Stallard had actually been told to leave the pub politely after making a lewd tongue gesture at barmaid Jane Cochlin. And Mr Hall said he chased Stallard after he threw two glasses at him. Stallard ran across the Dean's Way, hitting his head on the barrier by the side of the college, where his blood was found. The prosecution pointed out that Stallard's blood was found near the barrier and not at the back of the farriers, where he claimed he was attacked. On Monday, Stallard initially failed to show for his sentencing his sentencing hearing, with his defence barrister Jason Patel saying he did not own a phone or an alarm clock. A warrant was issued to bring him to court and the case was heard later in the day when Stallard was given the two-year prison sentence by Judge Nicholas Cole, who had earlier described Stallard's claims as an extremely serious false allegation. Stallard was also given a restraining order which prohibits him from contacting both directly or indirectly Mr Hall and from entering any part of Fish Street or going into the Farrier's Arms. Mr Hall, who no longer works at the Farrier's Arms and has moved out of Worcester, said he was relieved the case was over, adding, False allegations can destroy lives. I wouldn't want anyone else to go through the same thing. I'm just glad he was found guilty and it's all over. A grieving son has criticised Worcester Crematorium after he and his family waited five and a half weeks for his father to be cremated. Mark Stone's dad died on April the 7th, but the cremation at the Aswood Cemetery crematorium did not take place until Wednesday, May the 16th, which he called absolutely atrocious. 
Worcester City Council, which runs the crematorium, has offered a sincere apology for the delays and promised to look urgently at speeding up the process, including the possibility of Saturday funerals. It blames the delay on the sheer number of people requesting cremations. But Mr Stone said this causes unnecessary stress to bereaved families. But it's standard practice now, apparently. For me, it was more a question of Dad being alone in the mortuary. I know they keep the body in reasonable condition, but it's not a nice thought. They are slowly decomposing. Mr Stone said he knew of others waiting the same amount of time for a cremation in Worcester, so it's not a one-off, he said. He says funeral directors told him it was the same sort of waiting time for a burial as for a cremation in the city. He added, but then you have the issue of certain religions having to bury their dead the following day. What do they do then? He compared the situation to when his uncle died last year and was buried in Poic just 10 or 12 days later. If people have to go through this now, it's only going to get worse, continued Mr Stone. I know councils are having to cut budgets, but surely this is one area that they shouldn't be cutting. Can't they give those who have passed away and their families the respect they deserve? He said he and his family knew it was coming, but when they were told it would be over five weeks, his thought was, you must be joking. On top of the wait, Mr Stone of St Peter's described the state of the crematorium as absolutely disgusting. He said the grass around the old graves has not been cut. There were loose bits of grass everywhere, and to cap it all, they were cutting the grass during the service. I'm older, and it doesn't get to me so much, but some people would be devastated if they were cutting the grass during a family member's cremation. A city council statement said, We would like to offer a sincere apology for the delays with bookings for cremations at Astwood Cemetery. This is a difficult situation for anyone to have to deal with at a time of bereavement. We are now urgently looking at how we can make improvements and we will be talking to local funeral directors and other partners about the potential for cremation services on Saturday mornings. We'll be working with our staff to ensure high standards are maintained on the cleanliness of carpeted areas and management of the lawns surrounding the chapel. Regarding the length of the delay, a City Council, council spokeswoman added, it is the sheer number of requests from families for cremations at this point in time at this crematorium. And I would concur with that, judging by the number of deaths that actually um, have been recorded in recent weeks. That concludes the headline stories uh, for this week and so I'm going to ask John now to read the first of the stories from the past week. Thank you. A police boss has joined residents in opposing plans for yellow lines in a street. Chief Constable Anthony Bangham says the plans for Bromyard Road Worcester will cause speeding and parking issues. Sophie Townsend, a mum who lives on the road, thinks the move will clog up nearby side streets and leave her with nowhere to park. But the County Council, Cabinet Member for Roads, called the criticism absurd. Mrs Townsend said, 
It would put pressure on where we park currently on Church Terrace. Yellow lines would only push people to other areas. Residents' permit parking would make more sense. Mrs Townsend, 35, says lines will lead to pavement parking in narrow side streets, forcing mums to push their prams into the road. In a police report, an employee writing on behalf of Mr Bangham said, I can see advantages in having predominantly two-way free-flowing traffic between the hours of 7am and 7pm for the upper residential areas of Bromyard Road, which would prevent the frequent obstructions and hold-ups caused by parked vehicles. However, this must be tempered by the fact that speed may well increase, and with residential properties on both sides of the road, the removal of the all-day parking will only cause displacement and further parking issues to other roads. Jenny Barnes, a former city council, uh, city council candidate for Labour, who also lives in Bromyard Road, thinks the measure will prompt people to pave their front gardens to create parking spaces, which could lead to flooding. Councillor Alan Amos, cabinet member for Rhodes, said, Concerns about flooding are absurd. Where's the evidence? As for the police comments, they hardly ever do any enforcement of obstruction parking on the pavements, a particular problem these lines are intended to resolve. The idea that this is suddenly going to become a rat run is absurd. He previously said, The plan was for double yellows, but now says it's for single lines with no parking between 7am and 7pm, Monday to Saturday. A derelict swimming pool in Sansom Walk, Worcester, could soon be flattened. Worcester City Council has applied to its own planning committee for permission to demolish the building that has been empty for 18 months. But some members of the abandoned, some neighbours of the abandoned pool are concerned about risks to health caused by the demolition. The eventual plan for the site is to build accommodation run by the YMCA on the site, although the scheme does not have planning permission. The first step is for the City Council to be allowed to knock down the brick-clad pool complex. The Council's Deputy Director of Economic and Planning, Nicola Robinson, wrote, The site became surplus to the Council's requirements following the construction of a replacement swimming pool at Purdiswell. The City Council recognises the site as being particularly important as part of the regeneration of the city and has an aspiration for sustainable residential development. Even if the demolition is approved, it will not be a simple job. The fabric of the building includes asbestos, which has to be treated as hazardous waste. Previously, it had been suggested that it might be contained by erecting a large tent over the building as it is torn down. Some nearby residents are concerned about the effects of asbestos being released. One resident of Wood Terrace also wrote to the council to express support for the housing scheme suggested for the site. The application will be determined by the City Council's Planning Committee committee which was meeting today on thursday the 24th now there's another little bit about that what the um, the opinion of local residents campaigners say the first batch of response to a survey show there is overwhelming opposition to turning a closed swimming pool into accommodation lawson cartwright who is leading a campaign against the housing project said 
over 150 residents want Sansom Walk swimming pool to become a car park. He had added that locals are scared of antisocial behaviour and other issues if the YMCA building, um, the YMCA, uh, YMCA builds 76 accommodation units for 18 to 35-year-olds alongside sanctuary housings, 22 affordable homes. Mr Lawson, age 58, of Wood Terrace, Worcester, said he had collected about 20% of the 1,300 surveys handed out across the the Arboretum. He claims only a few respondents said that they received a letter giving them advance notice of a key city council meeting where councillors voted to sell the site for housing. City councillor Joy Squires, who represents the Arboretum, said work is already underway for a resident parking scheme for the Arboretum. She said, There are clearly serious concerns about the sanctuary housing and YMCA proposals for the site. Councillor Squires opposed the sale at the Council's Policy and Resources Committee meeting in March. Now, another celebration that um, we can all attend is O-Couple Day, which is due to take place at the Commandery this coming weekend. Festivities include Morris dancing, living history and live theatre. The event marks the date that Charles II reclaimed the English throne in 1660. Guests will be treated to traditional plum pudding and beer, as this forgotten festival is brought back to life. Families can get crafty making apple sprigs, decorating crowns and getting involved in Paper Rebellion, a 17th century inspired project with a local artist. They can also discover old-fashioned children's games. Meanwhile, the medieval Great Hall will be decorated in oak leaves. The event is being held on Sunday the 27th and Monday the 28th of May. Worcester residents can buy an annual ticket for the commandery for £5, which includes entry to the Oak Apple Day celebrations, and it's free for children. Tributes have been paid to a lovely lady who touched many lives while helping to raise millions of pounds for charity. Carol Breyer, at 79, the oldest employee at Age UK, Hereford and Worcestershire, has died. She worked for the charity for 16 years, starting work as a volunteer, but quickly moved to be an information and advice team member in 2003, specialising in benefits information. While in this role, she helped hundreds of older people make ends meet and live a better life. The staff and volunteers at Age UK expressed their sadness at her death and offered condolences to her friends and family. Jane Longmore, Marketing and Business Development Manager, said... She was simply a lovely lady. When you worked with her, she did touch your life, so you felt better for being with her. She was incredibly family-orientated and was interested in everyone. She took time to talk to us, not just about work, but about our family lives. She was just a really genuine lady. Philip Talbot, Chief Executive Officer of Age UK, Herefordshire and Worcestershire, said... We are all very proud to work with Carol as she showed so much experience and quality of workmanship, helped so many older people and, by example, championed the value and worth of working in later life. We shall all miss her. 
Mrs Briar of Cornmeadow Lane in Clanes, died on Wednesday, May the 2nd. The funeral will take place on Friday, June the 1st at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium in Tinton Avenue. Family flowers only. Donations to Age UK Herefordshire and Worcestershire will be welcome. Age UK Hereford and Worcestershire is an independent charity highlighting issues facing older people. Just a few days after receiving his chain of office, Worcester's new Mayor, Councillor Jabba Riyas, is settling into his new job as our first citizen. He's been fitted for his official robes and bicon hat and has been checking out the Mayor's parlour in the Guildhall. Councillor Riyas tweeted a short video of his new second home for the next year, saying it's not quite the Oval Office, but it's plush, posh and full of history. Councillor Rios has chosen St Richard's Hospice, Worcester Community Trust and Worcester Live as his three charities. His deputy mayor is Councillor Alla Ditter. A new policing commander has pledged to continue to protect the public and tackle difficult issues affecting people across South Worcestershire. Superintendent Damien Pettit has been appointed as Superintendent for South Worcestershire to help deliver local policing across the West Mercia and Warwickshire Police Alliance. He began his new role last Monday. Speaking about the new role, Superintendent Pettit said, I am proud to be appointed to lead such a fantastic policing team, which is committed to keeping people safe and solving issues that are affecting our communities in partnership. I will continue the strong ethos of providing access to police when the public need us, as well as tackling difficult issues affecting people in South Worcestershire so it remains a safe, vibrant and pleasant place to live, work and enjoy. Chief Superintendent Mark Travis added, I am delighted Damien has remained with the team as he moves into his new rank to support local policing in Worcestershire. Damien brings with him a variety of skills, including safeguarding, local policing and investigations, and, as Kevin leaves, he will continue to implement the new policing model. In his previous rank as Chief Inspector, Superintendent Pettit operated across North Worcester as part of the command team and as Wire Forest District Commander, he was responsible for managing operations across safer neighbourhood teams and patrols, emergency calls for assistance and working with communities to solve problems and issues affecting them. As Chief Inspector, he also managed large-scale change projects within West Mercia Police and with partners. In addition, he previously worked as Detective Chief Inspector, where he was responsible for safeguarding vulnerable people across Herefordshire and Worcestershire. He took over from Superintendent Kevin Purcell, who was recently promoted to Chief Superintendent for the Shropshire and Telford Policing Areas. Worcestershire are celebrating their first victory of 2018 as Rapids overcame Derbyshire Falcons by 50 runs at Blank Blackfinch New Road in their Royal London One Day Cup North Group opener. 
The hosts are anchored at the foot of Division 1 of the Specsavers County Championship after failing to win any of their opening five games. But they quickly settled back into the form which earned them a semi-final place in the Cup last summer after an impressive performance with bat and ball. Worcestershire amassed their second highest score in 50-over cricket at New Road of 323 for six after an explosive half-century from Ross Whiteley gave the innings late momentum. Wayne Madsen's Class A 87 gave Falcons hope, but they were eventually bowled out for 273 in the 47th over. Whiteley has spent the winter playing in the Bangladesh Premier League and the Pakistan Super League, either side of the inaugural T10 tournament in Sharjah. That had followed on from him becoming the first Englishman to hit six sixes in an over in a T20 blast match at Yorkshire. After sitting out the opening five championship matches, Whiteley stepped up to the plate to smash 58 off 39 balls with three sixes and seven fours. All three of his shots which cleared the ropes resulted in a lost ball as he and Ben Cox, with 56 not out from 51 balls, plundered 101 off 10 overs for the sixth wicket. Tom Fell, 56, had earlier helped lay the foundations for the late assault after the cheap dismissal of openers Daryl Mitchell, 12, and Joe Clark, 14. He shared in stands of 60 in 13 overs with Travis Head, 30, and another 62 in 11 overs with Brett Oliveira, 46. It was another sign of a return to form for Fell, who failed to score a half-century in any cricket last summer after his 88 against Surrey at the Kia Oval. Derbyshire suffered an early setback as Worcestershire skipper Joe Leach held onto a sharp low-return catch to dismiss Ben Slater for 10. Lewis Rees was promoted up the order and added 51 with Billy Goldman before the Derbyshire skipper, a century maker in Thursday's win over Warwickshire, played forward to head on 23 and was bowled. Rees found another winning ally in Wayne Madsen during a partnership of 77 in 13 overs. But after achieving a list A best 62, the former Lancashire player went for a violent heave at Ed Barnard over mid-wicket and was bowled. Josh Tung, or Tong, returned to the attack and a fine straight and rising delivery accounted for Matt Critchley, 12, who attempted a hook and a top-edged through, a top-edged through to Cox. Madsen has been a thorn in the side of Rapids on more than one occasion and he reached a 45-ball half-century. But after making 87, he reverse swept head into the hands of Tongue at Gully. Mitchell's medium pacers sent back Darren Smith, 22, and Hardersville Joan, 0, in the space of three balls, and Oliveira's stunning returning catch put paid to Safayan Sharif, 1. Alex Hughes, 47, struck some lusty late blows before falling to Leach. Some news from Worcester Warriors. Potent wing Josh Adams was recognised for his stellar season for Worcester Warriors at this year's Premiership Rugby Awards. The Wales International shared the top tri-scorer award with Newcastle Falcons' Veroniki Goniva after both players finished the season with 13 tries. 
He was also named in the BT Sport Dream Team. But the 23-year-old missed out on the Land Rover discovery of the season accolade, which was won by Exeter Chiefs Sam Simmons. Warriors hooker Jack Singleton's score at Leicester Tigers was nominated for Citizen Try of the Season. But Newcastle ace Sonoti Sonoti's sensational solo effort against Exeter came out on top in the public vote. It was a memorable night for Falcons, as Goneva landed the Aviva Premiership Rugby Player of the Season prize and his boss, Dean Richards, secured the Rico Director of Rugby of the Season award. Saracens' Owen Farrell clinched the Gilbert Golden Boot, while Wasps' Josh Bassett and Harlequin's Mark Lambert picked up the Singer Sevens Player of the Season and the Aviva Community Player of the Season Awards, respectively. And this is the BT Sport Dream Team. LaRue of Wasps, Goneva from Newcastle, Home Northampton, Tumor from Leicester, Adams from Worcester, Cipriani of Wasps, De Klerk from Sale, Genge of Leicester, Cowandicke, Exeter, Afoa, Gloucester, Green, Newcastle, Slater, Gloucester, Gibson, Northampton, Armand, Exeter, Simmons, Exeter. And away from the cricket and the football, I thought it would be nice to have a little bit of um, Worcester Wolves. It was a season like no other for Worcester Wolves head coach Paul James and one that he does not want to see repeated. James has been coaching for more than 20 years, but the 2017-18 British Basketball League campaign presented more challenges than most. There were highlights as Wolves reached the BBL Cup final at the Arena Birmingham, where they lost to Cheshire Phoenix in January and secured a place in the playoffs for the seventh successive season. But this was overshadowed by a series of departures which threatened to derail Worcester's season. Jamel Kennedy was the first to leave the University of Worcester Arena in October before Captain Ashton Khan made a shock ox exit in December, just days after leaving, leading the team to the cup final. Having brought in Rob Gilchrist and then Michael Ojo, James would have been hoping for no further disruptions. But he was handed a double blow in March when Brandon Parrish and LVC Dusha resigned following a breach of player rules. James was down to the bare bones at times this term as he had to call upon players from the University of Worcester on many occasions. But with the addition of point guard George Marshall for the final run-in, Wolves managed to clinch a playoff spot only to fall to London Lions. This is my 21st year in coaching and I have never had a season like this one before, said James. It was a new one for me and I don't want to have a season like this ever again whilst I'm coaching. It was full of challenges throughout the season, so it was a case of keeping the players focused and the team winning, despite everything that was going on, and playing a style of basketball that people wanted to watch. 
The support has been better than previous years, so we must have been doing something right. Wolves ended the regular season in 7th position, their lowest finish since 2011. But James was pleased by the way his side coped with the amount of changes. It was a topsy-turvy season, he said. We started off slowly and then we got into a really good mindset. But any time players leave and you are having to bring in new players, it disrupts things and is almost like starting all over again. I feel like we did that three or four times this season. When I look back at it, we made the BBL Cup final and there were only a couple of games where we were well and truly beaten. I think we played a good style of basketball and we were one win away from finishing fourth. To come seventh was a little disappointing. But on the whole, we gave it our all gave it our all in every game we played. There were times when we only had six players due to international commitments. We had to deal with a lot, not only for the coaches, but the players who had been there from the start and the new players who had to settle in as quickly as possible and try to make an impact. It was difficult for everybody. Wolves finished the turbulent campaign in thrilling fashion as they were edged out by Lions in a dramatic playoff tie. Trailing by just one point after losing 85-84 in the first leg, Worcester battled bravely at the copper box. But Lions won it 94-90 in double overtime. If there is a way to go out, that might be it. But it's still tough to take, James added. So that concludes our sports slot and uh, John is going to carry on with some more news. Thank you. A former mayor of Worcester has been charged with causing death by dangerous driving following a car crash in which his wife died. Aubrey Tarbuck, aged 88 and from Hallow, was also charged with causing death by careless driving and two counts of causing serious injury by dangerous driving in relation to the crash. He will appear at Telford Magistrates Court on Tuesday, June the 12th. His wife, Anne Tarbuck, was a passenger while he was driving when the crash took place on the A458 at Harley, near Much Wenlock in Shropshire, in October 2017. Mrs Tarbuck was taken to Royal Stoke University Hospital and died from her injuries. She was 88. There was a father and daughter in the other vehicle involved in the crash, a 4x4. The young girl suffered head and chest injuries and was airlifted to Birmingham Children's Hospital. Tarbuck served as mayor in 2005 and was first elected as a Conservative councillor on Worcester City Council in 1966. Veterans stood shoulder to shoulder with young air cadets during a rousing celebration of a century of the Royal Air Force. Standards were unfilled and the air trembled with the rumble of applause and the thunder of drums as crowds in their hundreds lined the streets of Worcester to pay tribute to the sacrifices made by the RAF since its inception a hundred years ago. Around 350 people, including cadets, veterans and serving RAF personnel, took part in the parade which began at the Corn Market in Worcester on its on Sunday on its way to the service at Worcester Cathedral. 
The day was an opportunity for people to commemorate and celebrate those who have served in the RAF since it was formed on April 1, 1918, six months before the end of the First World War. Organised by the Worcester and District Branch of the Royal Air Force Association, the parade and service were two and a half years in the, in the planning, said Branch, Office, Branch Chairman John Mason, the man who made the occasion possible. The 84-year-old veteran who served during the Suez Crisis decided to organise the event when he found out that there was nothing planned for the city, which he described as not good enough. It started as a pipe dream. Today is the culmination of an ambition. Taking part in the parade were veterans Gordon Cupper, age 71, of Whitburn, who served in the Royal Observer Corps, Graham Kitely, age 79, Secretary of the Bromsgrove and Redditch branch of the RAF Association, and Alan Denny, aged 86, of Malvern, who was a telephonist in the RAF and later joined the Royal Observer Corps. Mr Cupper said, It's a way of remembering those who are no longer here. Mr Kitely, who joined the RAF in 1960, said, The, the RAF Association plays tribute to those who served and sacrificed their lives in the Air Force. It's also about recognising the importance of the RAF today. Taking the salute outside the Guild Hall was Air Marshal Julian Young, accompanied by dignitaries, including Worcester MP Robin Walker, Vice Lieutenant the Honourable Lady Morrison, and Deputy Mayor Councillor Aladitta. The service was introduced by the Dean of Worcester, the very Reverend Dr Peter Atkinson. A sermon followed from the Deputy Chaplain-in-Chief of the RAF, the Reverend Dr Group Captain Giles Lagood, who said it was important to celebrate not only the daring do of the Battle of Britain and the Dambusters, but also the work of all those without whom the RAF could not fulfil its role those who put themselves in harm's way in order to bring about peace and stability. He also stressed the RAF's role in more recent times in Kosovo, the Falklands, Iraq, Afghanistan and Libya, as well as their important humanitarian work. Now, we were all um, aware that there was a special event at the weekend, and so um, we can't really ignore the royal wedding for this week's uh, recording. And while some watched the royal wedding on television, a select few from Worcestershire were lucky enough to be invited and others had their own wedding nerves to contend with. Six people from Worcestershire were invited to Windsor Castle to celebrate the marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. They were selected because of their outstanding contribution to their communities, chosen from dozens of nominations by the Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Holcroft. Olivia Parson, 24, who attended the King's School, was one of the six. Now living in London, she founded Educate Encarenda, which seeks to build a new school in the village of Enkarende in the Masai Mara, Kenya, now close to being completed. Miss Parsons, speaking to the Worcester News on the day of the wedding, attended with her mum, Carolyn. She said, 
It was absolutely amazing, an incredible atmosphere. We had a really good view. She saw famous faces including George Clooney and David and Victoria Beckham and the cast of Suits who starred alongside Meghan Markle in the show. Miss Parsons saw Princes William and Harry arrive at St George's Chapel followed by the bride. She also saw the newly married couple leave in the carriage and had the opportunity to look inside the chapel after the ceremony. Miss Parsons said... I was so honoured. It has been such an experience. I feel overwhelmed and humbled and so happy to be part of such an incredible day. My mum and I will always remember it. Pride of Birmingham winner Tilly Barker of Malvern was speechless after she opened the letter from the Lord Lieutenant, inviting her to Windsor Castle for the big day. The 11-year-old was nominated to attend by Acorns Children's Hospice Chief Executive Toby Porter for her inspirational support of others at the hospice after losing her little brother Henry, born with a serious genetic disorder, and was referred to the Acorns to spend his final days. Kelly Barker said, We have just got back from the wedding. It was amazing. The atmosphere was fantastic. We had a good spot to see people arrive. We are so grateful to have had the opportunity to go. Tilly was awestruck and so excited. Her favourite part was seeing the royal family and couldn't believe how small the Queen is in real life. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity and one we will remember for life. Tilly was so excited and over the moon to receive a gift bag from Harry and Meghan too. Meanwhile, 15 Worcestershire couples married on the same day. In the run-up to the 19th, there were 20 ceremonies across the county. Three couples married at Worcestershire registration offices, three at partner registration offices and nine ceremonies in approved premises around the county. Alex Rowley, who is marrying David Masocci on May the 19th at County Hall, said... We chose the date before Harry and Meghan and when we heard they were planning on getting married in the spring, we joked around saying it'd be the same as ours. David and I met about 17 years ago working at Worcester Hospital Pharmacy and last year we got engaged on Valentine's Day. He'd bought me two cards, one that said to my fiancé and one that didn't, just in case I said no. (laughs) A pensioner has condemned vandals after they ripped all the branches off a tree in Worcester's Cripplegate Park. Roy Schofield believes the attack, thought to have taken place in the early hours of Thursday morning, was part of an ongoing concerted attempt to damage trees in the park. They've ripped all the branches off the tree and ruined it completely, he said. The branches are on the ground and what's left is a ten-foot trunk with not a branch left on it. Mr Schofield of Hallow Road said the damage to trees has been going on for a long time now. Over the last two years it's become very obvious and I wouldn't mind betting it's the same people. Having gone into the park on Thursday morning to walk his dog, Mr Schofield said he found the tree ripped to shreds and the evidence all over the park. I've spoken to the police but they've obviously got other more pressing issues, he said. Mr Schofield explained that the friends of Cripplegate Park 
planted numerous trees in the park last year, and one was quickly ripped out of the ground completely. It's a shame, because the park's a nice place, he said. The county council removed seven mature trees from New Road as part of ongoing flood alleviation works, which began in January. More than a dozen were planted in Cripplegate to compensate. However, Mr Schofield said, within days, some had been uprooted. One was lying completely on its side. There were further attempts a couple of weeks later, but by then their roots were obviously more firmly in the ground. A city council spokeswoman said that over the weekend, the cleaner and greener team replanted a silver birch tree, which had been pushed over. Anyone who has driven on the A440 Southern Relief Road on Worcester's southern outskirts between the Ketch and Whittington roundabouts can't have failed to notice that another bridge has been built a few metres west of the existing railway bridge. It's all part of the work to turn the stretch of road into a dual carriageway. At the moment, that can't happen because the existing bridge is too narrow and only spans two lanes of traffic. But some may wonder how the second bridge, constructed in parallel, will help. From 8pm on Thursday the 24th, which is when we're recording, both the railway and the road will be closed. The railway line south of the bridge will be removed and the earth embankment supporting them will be dug away. A huge space will be made for the new section of bridge. That will then be loaded to huge rolling platforms and slotted into place in line with the existing bridge and railway lines. Beds, sleepers and tracks will then be replaced. The plan will then be to construct around under the new section of the bridge so that each section spans a two-lane road. Eastbound traffic will travel under the old bridge and westbound traffic under its new partner. Councillor Ken Pollock, Worcestershire's County Councillor, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, said this is part of duelling the whole of the Southern Ring Road from the M5 to Poet Roundabout and I think this is the most exciting part of it. We've been working for, for towards this for years since we were given the slot for closing the railway by Network Rail some years ago. The new bridges are part of a £35 million project to dual Crookbarrow Way to, to dual Crookbarrow Hay, Way. Head of Highways at County Hall, John Fraser said, that's the cost of upgrading the whole the whole stretch of road, widening the bridge and building the new section of road. We have also to build a bridge for the bridleway, which will run next to the railway bridge. The next phase will be to build the new bridge over the river and dual the road to Poick. That will be £65 million. Engineering contractors will be working round the clock for seven days. Rail services should resume in the early hours of May the 31st. The road is due to reopen at 6am on Friday, June the 1st. Details of the closures and diversion routes, one for larger vehicles, are available at worcestershire.gov.uk Southern Link Road. And now we go to Droitwich, a sculpture celebrating the salt trade has arrived in a town known for its historic role in the industry.
Artist Katie Beinhart travelled with her piece of art called Saltways from Gloucester Docks to Droitwich between the 4th and the 6th of May. The sculpture has been commissioned as part of a Canal and River Trust art project celebrating Worcestershire's waterways. The structure of the sculpture was filled with salt from various countries, including Bolivia, Turkey and South Africa, alongside salt locally produced at Churchfield's Salt Works. Droitwich was founded on natural salt brines and local waterways were used to export valuable salt around the world. At its peak, it exported 120,000 tonnes of salt a year. Tim Eastop, executive producer of the Canal and River Trust's Arts on the Waterways programme, said, Saltways promises to be a poignant and exciting spectacle, recreating a waterway route that was travelled for thousands of years. The artwork will remind people that waterways are historic places that inspire creative insights about their past, as well as offering intriguing glimpses into their future as places of new culture and well-being. The work was inspired by the last Witch Barge salt cargo boat to leave Droitwich in 1916, and is part of the Canal and River Trust's The Ring Art Project. A series of new commissions will be created by local and internationally celebrated artists on behalf of the charity. Saltways will be displayed at the Salt Museum in Droitwich from May until September, and on September the 8th the sculpture will feature in Saltfest. More t- details about the Canal and River Trust's Arts on the Waterways programme, you can find out more by going online and it's canalrivertrust, all one word, dot org dot uk. Another obituary here. One of the leading buyers for great universal stores during its heyday in the late 20th century has died. John Percy, Purse, Brenton, died peacefully on Wednesday, April 25th, aged 72. John was born on November 7th in 1945 in the Worcester Royal Infirmary to Beatrice Maud Brenton and Alfred John Paddy Brenton. The family lived in Hamilton Road, Wilds Lane in Worcester. He was educated at Stanley Road School and then at 11, the Worcester Royal Grammar School, where, in his own words, I wasted both my own time and that of my teachers. <laughs> John left WRGS in 1961 and attended the Worcester Technical College for a year. In 1962, John joined Ebenezer Bayliss, the, print- the printers, as a trainee cost accountant. A year later, he joined Kay and Company in the tithing, where he was employed as a buyer's assistant and then assistant buyer, where he was involved in building and managing the ranges of some of the products in the 1,000-page catalogues. He was eventually promoted to buyer and then to group buyer for the whole of Great Universal Stores, who were the parent company of K's. His speciality was home textiles, and he travelled the world sourcing and designing textiles for the catalogues. In 1978, John was approached by David Jones, now Sir David Jones, 
to join Grattan in Bradford as buying director. Grattans were bought by Next, and John worked closely with George Davis on the development of the Next Interiors catalogue. After Grattans came a move to Littlewoods in Liverpool, followed by a switch to great Universal stores as buying director, which involved travel to Australia, China, Hong Kong, Korea, Singapore, most of Europe and the USA. After John enjoyed a spell in consultancy, he and wife Linda decided to leave the North and return to the Worcester area and retire in 2003. They moved to the Pershore area, where they were extremely happy. John took up clay pigeon shooting, skittles for the arbos, and snooker at St John's Working Men's Club. John suffered a heart attack just after they moved back to Worcester, and a second in 2010, and was diagnosed with cancer in late 2015. John leaves his wife Linda of 50 years, two sons, Mark and Matthew, and daughter Lucy. He also has two grandchildren and a great-grandchild. Former Army Staff Sergeant David Waite has commemorated this year's centenary of the end of the First World War by cycling to every freestanding war memorial in Worcestershire. In a ride which took five days and covered more than 350 miles, he was in the saddle for over 30 hours as he visited 127 sites. Mr Waite, who lives in Malvern, served in the Royal Logistics Corps and took up road cycling seven years ago. He said, This was the longest distance I have attempted and I was pretty tired by the end, but it was absolutely worth it. As this year is the centenary of the 1918 armistice, I wanted to pay a personal tribute to all those Worcestershire men and women who gave their lives during the First World War. I decided to ride to all the councils, all the counties' freestanding war memorials because these are the last visible link we have between us living today and those who have lost their lives but were born, lived and worked in Worcestershire. For me, it was an interesting experience coming across so many different types of war memorial in some unexpected locations. But ultimately, it all comes down to local communities remembering the sacrifices of the men from their villages. As well as physically visiting the memorials, I photographed each one to create a photographic legacy for the county and a hope that those choosing to support the rides will in turn support two local charities which work to support injured veterans, the Tommy Atkins Centre, and to archive the stories of soldiers remember the fallen for future generations. Gillian Roberts, Worcestershire World War 100 Project, 100 Project, Project Officer, said, What a way to remember the soldiers from Worcestershire who gave their lives in the Great War. We often travel to the battlefields to visit memorials and remember those who gave their lives, so it seems fitting that David chose to do this on home ground and visit all 127 memorials right here in Worcestershire. A main route into the city will be closed as Worcester welcomes some of the world's best cyclists next month. The fourth stage of the OVO Energy Women's Tour 
on Saturday, June the 16th, will finish in the city for the first time. Hilton Road will be closed from 4.45am until 5.30pm and Henwick Road will be used as a diversion. The closure is in force in Hilton Road to accommodate the finish line, hospitality, podium, event village and spectator areas. Hilton Road buildings will only be accessible on foot. A rolling road closure will be in place for around 30 minutes before the race passes and will open as soon as possible afterwards. I think that's other roads, not Hilton Road. The 81-mile stage will set off from Evesham and go through Pershaw before travelling to Droitwich and finally finishing in Worcester. It will enter the city from Nunnery Way, travelling along Swinesherd Way and the A44 before continuing along London Road, Sidbury, across Worcester Bridge to Hilton Road. Oh, yay. <laughs> a disused Worcester pumping station is up for sale at a price of £275,000. The derelict stone-built former pumping house, which sits directly on the River Severn opposite McDonald's in Hilton Road, has been earmarked for development for a number of years. The building, which was the scene of a tragedy in January 2003, when 18-year-old Aidan Botfield fell through the roof and drowned, has been the subject of a number of planning applications since 1990. There was a successful application in 2002, when city council planners gave permission for it to be converted into a shop and offices. The teenager's family spoke to the Worcester News of their relief when plans to transform the building were later revealed, but nothing came to fruition. Andrew Grant, which is marketing the property as the Screen House, says planning consent for it to be turned into a retail or office building has lapsed. For sale signs have now gone up on the building, which has railings around its front and bars on the windows, and is being marketed as a landmark site presenting amazing development opportunity. Andrew Grant's marketing material says, The property is situated within Worcester City Centre, fronts Hilton Road, and occupies a stunning riverside location. The property is situated a short walk from Worcestershire Cricket Club, and is near to national operators such as McDonald's, Avis, Aldi and Homebase. The property comprises a single-storey former pump house with mooring directly onto the River Severn and which previously benefited from planning approval for further development. The Bishop of Worcester has described the violence at the Gaza border this week as awful but remains hopeful a peace process could one day be successful in the region. The Bishop, the Right Reverend Dr John Inge, spoke in the House of Lords on the violence which, in which 58 Palestinians were killed and 2,700 were also injured earlier this week. The violence erupted in a significant week. Monday was the 70th anniversary of the founding of the State of Israel and also the day the US made the controversial move of its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Palestinians claim East Jerusalem as a capital of a future Palestinian state and see the US embassy move as backing Israeli control over the whole of the city. 
Tuesday was the day Palestinians call Nakba, or the day of catastrophe, where they commemorate events which more than, uh, in which more than 700,000 Palestinians fled or were expelled from their homes during the war which followed Israel's foundation. In the House of Lords, Bishop John said things were worse than when he last visited four years ago. It's infinitely worse now, he told the Lords. What real substantial hope can be given to those who live in what is effectively a vast open prison? Speaking to the Worcester News, Bishop John said he went to Israel with a small group with Christian aid to visit the charities' projects there. Bishop John said it was pretty grim even then. People were without hope. The bishop said the situation was worse now, describing the situation as awful. He said there has been an escalation in violence because the opening of the US Embassy had come at the same time as the anniversary. But the bishop said, despite the tensions, he still hoped one day a route to peace could be found. I describe myself as a pro-Palestinian Zionist, he said. I agree that Israel has a right to exist but there has to be justice for the Palestinians too. I hope and pray that a way can be found forward to a peace process. Never say never. The government statement on the violence was good. It was much more balanced than the US. Bishop John added, he hoped to make another pilgrimage soon, where he hoped to speak to both Israelis and Palestinians. Now, we're coming fairly close to the end of um, this week's recording, so I do have a couple of announcements. Um, then we have obituaries, the thought for the day, and birthdays. So, just a reminder about our extensive library of talking books, fillers, thrillers, fiction, romance even. Available in many formats, we can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy, tape or USB sticks. Please leave a message on the answer phone, you have the number already, or put a note in your wallet. Now, a big event. It's our golden anniversary. It's 40 years this year since Talking News hit the streets. So to celebrate... We are inviting you to join us on Saturday the 28th of July between 2 and 4pm in the Commandery Grounds. We have live music, displays, you can talk to volunteers, there will be refreshments and everyone is welcome. So please put that date in your diary, the 28th of July between 2 and 4 and we really will be very pleased to see you because it is nice to put faces to names and that works both ways. Now, for those of you who don't want to listen to obituaries, there aren't quite so many this week, but here goes. These um, funerals will have already taken place. Vincenzo Ventura passed away, uh, date not given. His funeral service is on the, was on the 24th of May um, and donations if desired to Diabetes UK, no funeral director mentioned. Uh, Joseph Francis Smith passed away on the 20th of April. His funeral service will have taken place on the 25th of, 
uh, May. Uh, donations to Headway or the Injured Jockeys Fund. Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone 01905 748811. And Dorothy Agnes, known as Dot Parry, who passed away on the 28th of April. Her funeral service will have taken place on May 25th. Donations for Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Funerals still to take place. Ronald Strain passed away unexpectedly May the 1st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 29th of May at 10.45am. An instruction is that there is no need to wear black. Donations for Worcestershire Animal Rescue Shelter in Newland can be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gumry and Son details as before. Charles Timms of Beverley passed away May the 3rd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, May the 29th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only uh, and you may contact EJ Gumry and Son details as before. Peter Douglas Ryland passed away the 1st of May. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on the 30th of May at 10.45am. Donations, if desired, for the British Lung Foundation may be sent to AV Band. Tom Jenkins passed away on the 9th of May. A graveside service will take place at Astwood Cemetery Thursday the 31st of May at 1.30pm. Flowers may be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowsmore, Worcester, WR1. Also on the 31st will be the funeral of Sandra Potter, who died on the 28th of April, age 62. Service will be at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday 31st of May at 10.45am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the crematorium. Inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care details as before or sent directly to the charity and Sybil Kathleen Hodgetts who passed away April the 28th funeral service at St Clement's Church on Friday the 1st of June at 1.15pm donations to Acorns Children's Hospice care of Bedwardine funeral services details as before where I have um, mentioned charities, it is because they are all uh, family flowers only. And our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And the thought for the day, selected by Keir Aldis, is from um, St Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. 
And on a happier note, John is going to open the birthday book for us. And we have only one birthday. Hmm. On the 8th of June, it's Terry Roberts' birthday. Many happy returns, Terry. Happy birthday. So that brings us to the end of this week's recording. It just remains for me to thank Duncan Wynne, John Plush and Audrey Luxton for their contribution today. And for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off and hope you all have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.